Happy Easter. Great to have you guys here. Turn to the person next to you and say, you look marvelous. Let them know right now how amazing they look. Wow, you guys look good. You got your Easter gear on. I just want to explain to the little boy in the back right now. Yes, I know you look just like your brother. That's what your mom makes you do on Easter. But it's okay, because one day you're going to grow up, and then one day you'll marry someone, and they'll make you wear what they want you to wear on Easter. Just so you understand how that works. So, so glad you guys are here. I love the Easter holiday. It's great. We have the in-laws and outlaws in town, right? And so we're all dressed up, ready to go out to eat after church. So we're all praying the preacher short. You know, I understand that. But my favorite part about Easter, honestly, is Easter candy. Who's with me? Who likes the Easter candy? You know what I'm talking about? Give it up for some peeps in the house. You know what I'm saying? I love the Easter candy, man. I go straight to the aisle every time. I'm like, oh, Lord, I love celebrating you with lots and lots of sugary stuff. I just do something about that. You know, there's a little boy that saw one of his friends today on Easter, and he's like, hey, it's so good to see you. You know, you're all dressed up. And he said, hey, what do you got the bruise on your arm for? He goes, oh, I got that from eating Easter candy. He said, you don't get a bruise from eating Easter candy. He said, you're doing it, it's your sister's. You know, I love the, uh, the, the whole Easter egg hunt thing, right? Don't you love that? You know, well, when my kids were little, they were super into this. They were like all day long waiting because they had all these services, right? And they're like, dad, when's Easter egg hunt? When's Easter egg? I was like, after church, we're going to have it. You know, but for us, it's like 16 services later, you know, so it's like forever to them, you know? So finally, we'd have the Easter egg hunt. And now Mason's like eight or nine years old. Sophie's like four, right? Four or five, maybe at best, okay? And so Cole's somewhere in the middle there. And so we're all out in the front yard and they're about to, you know, we're, they're about to go look for the Easter eggs. And so we hit them all over. We're covering their eyes. Okay, you guys ready? And so we let them loose, right? And Mason and Cole literally just plowed right over Sophie like she's standing still. I mean, just literally ran over the poor girl. Have you guys seen the opening scene of Hunger Games? That's my kids looking for Easter eggs. <laughs> Children are dying in my front yard. So we've had to learn to actually like hold them back, let Sophie, when she was little, run out and get all the eggs she can, and then we'd send the boys out for cleanup. I mean, otherwise, they would just slaughter the poor girl. It was just so, it was so sad. And so, I mean, this was years ago. It's like two, three years ago. You know, I mean, just long, long time ago, so. But I love Easter, it's so much fun. And as much as I love all of the, the Easter hype and the fun and the Easter bunny and all that stuff, as great as all that is, there's actually another reason we're here, and it's beyond all that, and that is the reason we're really here is because a man claimed to be God, and then he proved it because he died and he actually did rise again. That's what we're here to celebrate. <laughs> Jesus really did it. Now, some of you maybe have, were dragged here today to church because your, your friend brought you or maybe a family member brought you. You had to come because grandma made you or whoever. Maybe someone brought you in the door and you think, yeah, I hear you saying all that, but I don't believe all that. I don't believe the Bible. Well, first of all, you may be thinking that the Bible came like this. It didn't come like this. <laughs> That's the funny thing. I always like to just remind people how we actually got this is that actually there were eyewitnesses who saw this guy who claimed to be God healing people. The, line, the, the, the blind could see, the lame could walk. He walked on water. Then he rose again. And if you saw that, you'd go home and write about it too. So they wrote about these little note, on these little notes that we now call scrolls, which is really was just a note. And so they just wrote to themselves in their own journals. And all of them had all these different writings that they eventually collected together. And a guy named Kim Jimmy got together because he had the money and he put the money together to get all the, the scribes to take all those little rolls, all those little notes from those eyewitnesses and put them all together. And that's how we have the Bible. That's how we actually got this. So this didn't just come just like this. It was all these different eyewitness accounts. You know, back in the 90s, the Cowboys won some Super Bowls. Some of you guys remember that? <laughs> I'd like to remind you that it was all the way back in the 90s that actually happened. I just want to remind you of that. I sense some division in the body of Christ today. But you know, back then, I remember I was living in Dallas at the time, actually, which is very torturous, by the way. It was like, Cowboys are the greatest. It was like, Cowboys are the greatest, you know. 
drove me crazy. I was in seminary, and so I was from Houston, you know, so my team, of course, was basically no longer. I don't even think I had a team at the time, you know, but anyways. But I remember watching them win the Super Bowls, and I remember right after the Super Bowl, Dallas Morning News had this huge spread about the Cowboys, and of course, the Fort Worth Star, Telegram, did the same thing, and then you go to the bookstore, and there was the Sporting News and Sports Illustrated. I mean, even the New York Times, they all were covering how the Cowboys won the Super Bowl. So just imagine today if we took all of those, uh, those old articles and we compiled all those, all those into one book that would become the Bible of the Super Bowl back in 1990-whatever, right? And so that's how we get the Bible today. It's all different angles of the same story. But I will tell you this, regardless of what the Fort Worth Star-Telegram wrote or what the Dallas Morning News wrote or what the New York Times wrote, they all agree that the Super Bowl happened and the Dallas Cowboys won. And so even though you have different angles, or they'll say, well, but everything doesn't agree completely. That's because you see, uh, if you're on the scene of an accident and you're on the scene of an accident, the same accident, you're gonna see it differently. No, no, they caused it. No, no, I was here, I saw they caused it. So you may have different viewpoints, but we all agree that the accident happened. See, that's the way the Bible is, is that there's different takes on what happened, but they all were there. They all agree that Jesus did rise again. And what I want to mention too is that back in the 90s, what I didn't see in any article anywhere from any paper was anyone say that didn't actually happen. The Cowboys didn't win the Super Bowl. Now, someone may have said they cheated, they got robbed, my team got robbed, this or that, the, the 49ers should have won or whatever. There was a lot of articles like that, but no one disagreed on the basic fact that the Cowboys won. In the same way, what you will not find anywhere in history from the time of Jesus writing, from the time when, when Jesus rose again from that first century, you will not find a single shred of evidence anywhere from any writer, anywhere from that day saying it didn't happen. Interesting. It's almost like it was just an agreed upon fact. Because it was. He really rose again. Oh, but I had this professor one time. He told me he didn't really rise again. Was your professor there? Oh, they weren't. So they're just giving their, their opinion and spouting it off like it's facts. See, the truth is, is that we got to go back to the archaeological, historical evidence and recognize that Jesus really did claim to be God. He really did die. And he really rose again. And over 500 witnesses saw him rise again. Did you know that many witnesses? I mean, we can't get four or five people to keep a lie together for a couple months, right? You can't keep four or five people to keep a lie together for a couple weeks. Just go ask Jesse Smollett. Try that one on. He can't keep a lie together for a couple of days, right? I'm not trying to be offensive. I mean, I'll pick another lie if you want. The point is, is that we can't get people to hold a lie for a week. And we're supposed to believe that people, over 500 people saw Jesus die and raise again and that whole thing was made up and no one broke? No one said, oh, no, it was all made up. We all got together. Guys, the only reason you keep it together that long is because it's the truth. Does that make sense? It's the truth. It really happened. Jesus really died, died, and he really rose again from the grave. Now, here's what I want to do today. I want to do something kind of unique. I want to point out some unique things. Before I do that, I made a note. I want to, I want to forget my note there that I wrote. Before I dive into this, I just want to say that, you know, there, there was another bombing today in Sri Lanka. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. Uh, there were three churches uh, that were bombed. And so uh, I want to stop and pray right now for the Christians around the world that are experiencing persecution. In Africa, by the way, there's a ton of persecution going on. So I just think it's important that as, as much as we want to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, that we remember that there is a war going on against our faith. And so you need to recognize that if you haven't woke up to that, because it hasn't quite come to America at that level yet, but it's coming. Oh, it's coming. I don't mean to scare anyone, but you just gotta know that's just the reality of the world that we live in today. And so I wanna stop and pray for our country, but also pray for the world today, because there are Christians that are literally fighting for their very lives to hold on to their faith. And so let's pray for them. God, thank you, Lord, that we can just trust our lives in your hands. Thank you, God, that 
that, Lord, in, in Sri Lanka today, Lord, that our hope is in Christ. Lord, even though that, that uh, horrible tragic events have happened this week, whether it be there or Notre Dame's uh, cathedral being burned, God, I thank you and I'm reminded, Lord, that the cross stood strong even as the, as the place burned, Lord, and that's just such a great symbol that you remain strong and that, Lord, the gates of hell will not prevail against your church. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you that our faith is strong because it's built upon the rock of the truth that Christ really rose again from the grave. And so we hold on to that and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I wanna encourage you today as we take a look at scripture today, I wanna do something kind of unique today. If it's okay with you, I'd like to take a look at some scripture that, that are all around the story of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection that maybe you didn't know before. There are four different incidents that happen here inside the story that have always been there, but we oftentimes kind of skip over them because either we don't understand them or we don't quite believe them. We think that's kind of crazy. What does that actually mean? And we keep going. But there's four things that I wanted to mention here because I want, to, I want today's message is called The Secret Meanings of the Resurrection because there are four things that happen that, that, that happen and they're right in front of us, but yet we oftentimes wonder what in the world does that Mean. So I want to talk about that, that, that today. So plot your notes if you would. And uh, I, I like to give people notes too because I speak about 350 words a minute with Gus up to 750. So here we go. <laughs> if you plot your notes, in fact, if you look at the very first verse, it's 1 Peter 3.18. It kind of gives a summary of what Jesus did for us. This is what it says. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So Christ died for us, the unrighteous, the righteous for the unrighteous. He was the righteous one, we're the unrighteous ones, he died in our place, is what this is actually is telling us. But there's four things I wanna, I wanna point out that's, that's kinda unique, kinda different, and I wanna dive right in those, okay, you guys ready? Are you guys ready? You guys are strong on me now, you guys ready? All right, let's do this, check it out. The first thing that happens is very unique is this. Matthew chapter 27 says this, Matthew's account says, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Another translation says, why have you forsaken me? So at this moment, this is the first time in, in eternal history, not just our history, but eternal history, that God the Father and God the Son separate. It's because God was about, as, as the justice of God was about to bring his justice on his son, even though his son had committed no sin, Jesus had committed no sin, he became sin for us. So God took out the justice that we deserve for our sins on his son. There's a separation, but before the separation happens, there is a darkness that covers the earth. It says in Amos chapter five, Amos has written hundreds of years, actually about 500 years before uh, this actually happened. So that's prophesied. It says this, what sorrow awaits you who say, if only the day of the Lord were here. You have no idea what you are wishing for. That day will bring darkness, not light. Literally, that's exactly what happened with Jesus. There was darkness, before he died, before he gave up his spirit, before he, he gave his life for all of us. Now that actually can be seen all the way back in the Old Testament. So if you're wondering like, what's the darkness is for? My first thought on the darkness is probably like, you know, probably like God's sad because his son's dying. Um, maybe he's turned his back and therefore the sun, you know, he's darkened it for that reason. We don't know exactly, right? We think maybe it's just, it's showing his emotion. Actually, there's another reason for this and it's found in Exodus you remember back in the story with Moses when he goes to see Pharaoh because God told him, you're gonna set your people free, right? Go set my people free. He goes to Pharaoh. He says, hey, Pharaoh, the Lord told me to come to you and tell you to set his people free. Pharaoh, of course, basically says, fat chance, I'm not doing that because that's my whole economy. Are these slaves? And so, no, I'm not gonna do that. And so he says, if you don't do it, the Lord's gonna bring plagues upon you. 
And of course, a lot of us know those plagues, right? So you got the locusts, right? You got all kinds of different plagues that come down. You got the frogs, right? That would really, uh, that, that would have been there for me. I'm like, one frog's enough. I'd be like, take them, take them all. I'm good. I'm out. Please, I'm, I'm done. But he didn't. He refused again and again. And so one of the things that the Lord sent was darkness. Check it out. It says in Exodus chapter, uh, let's see, chapter 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, lift your hand toward heaven and the land of Egypt will be covered with a darkness so thick you can feel it. You ever been in a place that you could sense darkness? Now, you know what I'm talking about? You ever been like to a party and you knew there probably was some good activity going on, but you had no idea how bad it was going to be and you just felt like, I need to get out of here. Just, there's just darkness. Or maybe in a club or a bar where you just sensed it wasn't just that bad activity was going on, but that there was a darkness there. It says you could, you could literally feel this darkness. It goes on in verse 22. It says, so Moses lifted his hand to the sky and the deep darkness covered the entire land of Egypt for three days. Ha, huh, three days, interesting. It's almost like we're trying to get a message across here, huh? Three days. During that time, the people could not see each other and no one moved. You ever try to walk across a dark room? It's a good way to get hurt, right? You're running into something, oh, it hurts, doesn't it? Put a little bit of a hole in your shin, you know what I'm saying? No one wants to move fast in a dark place. So what does this darkness represent? Well, there's darkness that comes in, and after the darkness, Pharaoh still won't relent. He still won't let, let the people go, won't set them free. And so what happens next? Chapter 11, all the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt, from the oldest son of Pharaoh to the oldest son of the lowly servant. So Moses says, look, if you don't listen to God through the darkness, then he's gonna take your firstborn. By the way, this may seem cruel to you, but actually this is just an eye for an eye. This is the law. And he says, hey, you know what, Pharaoh? You took the firstborn of, of Israel. We're gonna take the firstborn of Egypt. And so God did that. And so in that moment, the law was, was uh, fulfilled in that, in, in that sense. And so what happens is darkness happens and then the firstborn son is taken. What happens in the New Testament? Darkness comes on for three hours and then the firstborn of God is taken for our sin. Would you write this down, number one? Darkness covered the earth, which represents the judgment of God not coming upon us, but coming upon his son, darkness. You know, darkness tends to get our attention. Maybe you're in a dark spot in your marriage right now. Maybe you're in a dark spot in your career or your relationships, or maybe you're just personally, emotionally in a dark place with depression or an addiction, and you really are struggling. The good news about your dark moment is it makes you appreciate the light of God when he begins to brighten your life again. And I believe today, maybe God brought someone here today because he wants to tell you, your darkness is ending and my light is entering your life in a new way. Someone needs to receive that today. This may be your moment. So darkness was a symbol of the judgment of God not coming upon us, but coming upon God's son instead. Here's another thing that happened, very interesting. When Jesus died, when he gave up his spirit, it said in that moment, something else happened at the temple. The temple is where we go to worship, right? In the, in the Jerusalem temple, there was a holy place, which the whole temple was considered holy. You come in, you're in the holy. But then there was the holy of holies, and that was a place that only the high priest could go. And there was a temple curtain that separated both of these places. Because see, the presence of God was, is so potent, so pure and so perfect and so holy, and anything unholy, anything impure, Anything that's not perfect, anyone like that would die in the presence of a holy God. And so there has to be a curtain that separates the holy of holies from the regular holy. Holy is still separated, of course, but the holy of holies is a very perfect presence of God. And so only once a year, the high priest would go in there. The high priest is considered the holiest guy in all the land. 
And he would have to have sacrifices that he would give. He would, he would kill an animal for his own sin to atone for his sin and then get, go through all these ritualistic purity uh, uh, ceremonies he would go through to get his own heart right and to be pure before God so he could go in for a moment one day a year. And even then, did you know they used to tie a rope on the high priest's leg in case the presence of God killed him because he wasn't pure enough and then had to drag his dead body out? So if the high priest is not holy enough to be in the presence of God after all that purification for even a moment, then how in the world do you and I stand a chance? Think about that. I mean, it's crazy when you think about it. So it says here that when Jesus died, look what happens. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. What was that about? Well, you see, Christ was perfect where we are not. In fact, at one point, someone asked Jesus, hey, what do I need to do to get to heaven? He said, oh, it's simple, just be perfect like I am. You know, the guy must have been like, seriously, that's, that's impossible, right? Now, if you're like me, I blew the whole perfect plan a long time ago. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's just no way I'm just not that good, right? Maybe you pray this prayer like I pray before, Lord, God, I haven't said a bad word today and I haven't had a bad attitude yet and, you know, I haven't done anything wrong yet and, and you know, and, and I haven't been selfish yet, but God, in a moment, I'm gonna get out of bed and I'm gonna need your help after that, so just please be with me. <laughs> I mean, it's really hard, right? I mean, it's just so hard to be perfect. None of us are perfect, right? So God tore the, the temple curtain, which is a very high curtain. He tore it in half. But he tore it in half from the top to the bottom, not from the bottom to the top. Why is that? From the bottom to the top would represent man getting access to God because of what man did. But no, he tore it from the top to the bottom because it was God who gave us access through his son, which means this, Ephesians chapter two. Check it out. It says this in Ephesians two. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. We don't get access to God because we're good enough, because we're holy enough to be in his presence. It's because Jesus is holy enough. This is why when I pray, at the end of my prayers, I always say, in Jesus' name, what I'm saying is, God, I know the only reason I have access to you directly is because of what Jesus already did for me. And so isn't that good to know that? We don't have access to God because of what we do. It's because of what Jesus has has done for us. And so we write this down. Number two is this. The curtain was torn by God, so we have access to God through Christ. Let me ask you something. Are you accessing your access? When's the last time you really prayed and sought the Lord? Maybe this is your first time to be in church in a while. We're glad you're here. I don't want to make you feel guilty. I'm glad you came. I just want to encourage you to come again. Maybe you're here today and you don't really come very often. You're what we call a CEO. That's Christmas and Easter only. <laughs> We're glad you're here. Well, I want to encourage you to come check us out next week. Come back. Maybe you're visiting with family from another town. I understand that. But if you're local, please come back and check us out. In fact, next week, we're starting a brand new series called Be Worth Following. It's all about leadership, how to develop the leadership in you so you can lead others effectively. You know, we're all about how many Instagram followers we have now and how many likes we get on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever. You know, but I have to tell you, I hate to break it to you, but the amount of likes and followers you have on Instagram is about as valuable as the amount of money you have in a Monopoly game. So rather than having a lot of followers online, why don't we get some followers in real life? And so next week's series is about being a good leader. So I wanna encourage you to be here for that. Very, very excited about that. And so don't miss next week. I'm really excited about this series. Access your access. Come to God's house, but also not just in God's presence here in this house, but also wherever you are, you can access the Lord because of what Jesus has done for you, we have access. Look what happens next, it's interesting. So, so the curtain splits in half right when Jesus dies, but something else happens right in that moment. It says, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Wow, 
Imagine you're sitting here and you're watching Jesus die on the cross, and as soon as his head hangs, boom, the moment you know, you know at that moment he gives up his spirit. His head hangs, and then right in that moment, the whole earth shakes, and some rock beside you splits right in half. Wow. That must have been the moment, right? It was such a moment. Look what the centurion did. Matthew 27, verse 54. It says, when the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. These are the same guys, by the way, that just moments earlier were gambling away his clothing. Moments before that had beaten and spit on him, had taken nine inch nails and driven them into his live hands as he anguished in pain, ah, as it went in, as blood splattered on them as they drove the nails in. Obviously, they don't value him. By the way, these guys had killed thousands of people. This is what they did for a living. They had no problem taking life. It was easy for them to do it. And so they hung him on this cross. He was just next in line. They didn't believe he was God at all. But something about the earth shaking made them stop, look up, and go from, I don't care about this guy, to he might as well be human vermin. He might as well, he's just vermin to me. He's nothing. He's a cockroach to me. And in that moment, they looked up and said, he's God. So what happened in that earthquake? That must have been one shaking. For them to, in, a, in, in just a second, to have a complete 180? Has God shaken you up to cause a 180 in your life yet? Has something happened to you to make you go from, that's just a bunch of, whoa, he's God. Have you had that moment yet? God's good at shaking us. You know what shakes me? Honestly, what shakes me? The law. The law shakes me. Here's what I mean by that. All the rules that God has in this Bible, are you like me that I'm just like, man, I'm just not that good. Can anyone else relate to what I'm talking about? I'm trying, but I'm still, I'm still not good enough. I mean, try to be holy and just, just try. Just try to be good. Just say today, you know what? This next week, I'm not going to have a single bad attitude all week long. Good luck with all that. <laughs> right? Are you kidding me? I have teenagers. There's no way I can pull this off. <laughs> right? Try to have a good attitude all the time when someone cuts you off in traffic and you want to give them your special finger. Do not do that. <laughs> I know you want to let them know that Jesus is number one. But can we edit this part of the tape? We need to take that out. <laughs> the thing is this, is that I've tried to be good, to have a good attitude all the time. I've tried to be pure. Every man here understands this one. Like, try to be pure and have cable TV in your home. Right? I mean, just regular network TV now. You don't have to be looking at anything bad. I mean, like, wow, it's just really hard to keep your mind pure because all the images put in front of you nonstop in the world we live in, right? I mean, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard not to be greedy when we celebrate greed, and every song now is about all the bling I got and all the stuff. I mean, it's like, man, it's hard not to make life about yourself, right? It's just hard to be good. It's hard to follow all those laws. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all my heart, with every part of me. I mean, sometimes I just love myself. It's hard to pull that off, right? The law can break you. It can shake you to your foundations, which I think is why theologians have tied this directly, this shaking, this earthquake, directly to what happened in Exodus chapter 19. This is where Moses gets the law of God. He goes up a mountain. It's called Mount Sinai, which literally means the mountain of God. He goes up the mountain. And when he's up there, some, look, something happens when he gets the Ten Commandments, by the way. Look at this. It says, all of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because of the Lord had descended on it in the form of a fire. And the whole mountain shook violently. Wow. 
So he, when he got the law, when he went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments right, this is, why, by the way, the first time in biblical history that a man goes up and he downloads data from the cloud onto his tablet. Just, uh, that's the best joke I've got. I'm sorry. That's, that's all I got. But the thing is this. When he does that, right, when he gets the, the, the law, there's a shaking. There's an earthquake. And I believe this is what that means for you and me today. Number three, the earth shook because the law was fulfilled. So the earth shook when the law came and the earth shook again when the law was fulfilled in Christ because none of us are perfect, none of us are good enough. You know the way you spell religion is D-O. Do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. That's probably what ran you out of church to begin with. Because you're like, I don't like all the rules. I'm just not that good. I feel judged every time I come. I can't keep up with it all. I gotta do this and I gotta do that and I can't do this and I can't do that. And so there's so many rules, but that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is different because it's spelled D-O-N-E. It is done. Jesus did it all for us. All we have to do is receive him. We don't do it. He did it. Jesus took our sins. In fact, that we can't keep up with all the do's and don'ts. He took that to the cross and it is done. He literally said it is finished when he gave his life for all of us. He literally shook the earth to remind us that the law is complete. The last thing I want to point out is this, something very interesting. Matthew 27, verse 51 says this. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. What? Did you just read that? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. what was that? So when Jesus died, other people came out of tombs and walked around. Like, are you like me? Did that seem cray-cray to you? <laughs> that seems insane to me that these people are walking around. Now, it says the saints of old. It doesn't say everyone. So it was a handful of people. It wasn't like hundreds and hundreds of people. We don't, we don't believe that was the case. It was a handful of people. Saints of old means, the word saint also means that these are people that, per, people that persevered in their beliefs. So many times people believe, many theologians believe that what this means is was, these are people who maybe recently passed away that told all their friends and family, you know, the Messiah is coming and all their friends and family rolled their eyes. Oh yeah, the Messiah is coming. And so it says they went back into the city. Why would you go back in the city right after Jesus gave his life for you? I believe what happened was there was some old saintly woman. She comes back from the dead. She goes back in the city and this is like her Medea moment. She walked in and went, I told you. <laughs> I think that's what happened. <laughs> she went in there and she was like, I've been telling you there's a savior. Now do you believe me? They're like, uh-huh. Now that I see you. Can you imagine this? You see someone that died five years ago, they're walking around now. I mean, that must have been total freak out, right? But there's a lot more meaning in this than that too. Here's another one of the meanings. Romans 8 says this. I love this translation. This is the message translation. It says, when God lives and breathes in you, you are delivered from that dead life. I love that dead life. It's like a rapper, right? That dead life. I did that yesterday. My daughter's, my daughter's in the service. She was just like, Dad, you're so white. Please don't do that. What? <laughs> I got street cred. What are we talking about? I'm like, <laughs> I won't repeat that. Okay. <laughs> you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. What does that mean? That means whatever area that you thought was dead in your life, our Lord specializes in resurrection, so he's not done in that area either. Isn't that good to know that? He's not finished. He can do what only he can do. This also means something else. There's another meaning to this. This means there's something still coming in the future. It says, it talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 4. Check it out. It says, this is gonna happen, by the way. This is gonna happen in our lifetime. 
It says this, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with the commanding shout, with the trumpet call of God, first the believers who have died will rise from their graves. What? Again, what does this mean? This means if you and I, if Jesus were to come back in our lifetime, I wanna be somewhere near a cemetery, right? Don't you wanna see this happen? And about half those graves pop open, people start getting up, walking out of them, that is gonna be crazy. Someone's gonna be near there like with a doobie in your hand, be like. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> put, it, put it down, put it, put it down, just put it down. See, I've been preaching too many services. That's what's going on here. I'm getting way too loose fast, so this is bad. I'm sorry, I'll take my ADD medicine right after this, I'm sorry. Out of control. So, they popped up out of the graves. Then guess what happens right after that? Now, if you see someone come out of a grave, you just need to know, get ready, you're about to go up. That's what happens next. The scripture says that people come out of the graves, right? Now, theologians argue over whether it's all of people are gonna come back from heaven and back down in the graves and then come up, like to be, to be a big display of, about the, the resurrection of all of us, that Christ is gonna resurrect all of us, or whether it's a handful of people or not. I tend to believe we're all gonna do it. So but if we're still alive when this happens, then those graves will be emptying out. And then after that, we, we literally start to ascend into the sky. Look at the scripture. It says, then we who are still alive will remain on earth, and who remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now, when that happens, if I see graves popping open, I'm gonna reach for the biggest center I know, grab them and hold on real tight because as I'm going up in the air, I'm gonna carry them up, be halfway up and say, all right, you got a choice, man. You can accept Jesus or I can let go. <laughs> I mean, my job is to take as many people to heaven as I can before I die, right? I'm gonna get one more. So it says here that, that the graves will pop open and then we will all ascend to heaven. And then it says this, then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Here's why I wanna encourage you with these words today. Because some of you today are at Easter celebrating the Lord and it's hard for you though because there's someone that's not with you. And I've got some good news for you. You will see them again. They will raise again. You will see them again. You will. Did you know that? You will. This is our hope. What does this mean for you and me today? Number four, dead saints of old rose again to proclaim that because of Christ, we can and will rise again too. Isn't it good to know that? We will rise again, and so will your friends and your family who know the Lord Jesus, and so it's good news. So I was doing this, so I was working on my, my notes for, for today, and I saw something I have to add. Is it okay, can I add a little something? This is in your notes, but if it's okay with you, I wanna add one more thing. It was just so powerful, I just had to stop and, and park on it. So you may wanna write this verse down. This is not in your notes, that's in front of you, but you may wanna add this verse. John 20 talks about one more thing. I just, I just have to add, it's just too good to skip. Something else happened. When they went to see the tomb where Jesus was laid, something happened when they went inside. So you guys know the story, of course, the, 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 the historical account where the stones rolled away by the angel, the centurions run off scared. That's my favorite part, by the way, when tough guys run off scared, I love that. But they're like, ah, they run off. And so this angel must have been a, a sight to behold, rolls away the, the stone blocking the tomb. Jesus comes out, right? And so then he goes, in, and when, when Mary and, and her friends come, then they go back and tell the disciples, they come and they look at the empty tomb. When they walk in the empty tomb, they see something, and it says something in Scripture that anytime you see something that doesn't make sense to you, you should park on it and look at it because there's a reason it's there. And there's something said here that theologians have tried to translate what this means, and they get multiple translations. And anytime you see a word that's used in one translation, not in another, and you wonder, like, why are these a little different? It's because that word is only used once. 
So there's a bit of guesswork going on, like what well, could mean this or it could mean that. But when you see words consistent throughout all translations over and over again, it's because that word was used over and over again through the Bible, so they already know what it means. So when you see a word, you're like, well, it, it could mean this, it, it could mean that. So that's what's happened in this scripture. But I want to point this out because if God allowed this to happen, if God allowed, allowed this detail to happen, then he must have a message for you with it today. So here it is. Here's this detail. John 20, verse 6. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. What was that? So there's wrappings, and then there was a separate cloth that covered Jesus' head. What do we call this? Some people, some people know this as a shroud of what? Of Turin, right? We know this, right? We've heard this term, and it's supposed to be the shroud that covered Jesus' face. Now, I don't really know the whole history of that. I'm not here to get into all that. But we do know that it's true. There was a napkin or a towel, whatever you'd like to call it, that was, goes on Jesus' face. This is actually how you uh, buried in, be people in ancient um, Israel. Would, you'd bury them all the same way. You would take strips of cloth, and these were called grave clothes, and they would take these strips of cloth, they would dip them in oil so that you could embalm the body so that it didn't smell bad when the body decayed. They would wrap the body in these strips of cloth. Then they would have a separate napkin they would put on the face. By the way, the strips of cloth, do you know how they got, got them to attach to the body? They would dip them in this oil. Guess what kind of oil that was? Guess what it was called? Myrrh. Interesting, isn't it? Like, wait a minute. Wasn't Jesus given myrrh as a baby? Why would you give a baby gift that was oil that you embalmed dead bodies with unless you're sending a clear message as to why you were born? So they dipped these in that oil, wrapped his body in it, then Jewish tradition tells us you would then take a cloth or a napkin and put it over the face of the dead body. And then the people who, who buried him would then kiss them on both cheeks and then leave the body. That was the last thing you did. Didn't Jesus get kissed on the cheek by someone? That should speak to someone today because you need to know this. There's even purpose in your betrayal. There's even purpose in that. So Jesus is buried this way. When they go in to see the body, it's no longer there because he's alive and they're gonna see him just a few short, maybe an hour later, they'll see him. But when they go in, these guys notice that the napkin that was over Jesus' face was not just set aside. The scripture clearly indicates it was folded. In fact, let me give you another translation. It says this in John 20, verse six through seven in the ESV, that's the English standard version, says, then Simon Peter came, Following him and went into the tomb, he saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Now, that may not mean a lot to you and I, but if you were a Jewish young man like these disciples were and grew up in Israel, I mean, you can't get more Jewish than Israel. They grew up there. They knew what a folded napkin meant because of the culture that they live in. So let me just kind of help you understand the message Jesus was sending to Simon Peter, who I'm sure when he saw that, probably smiled and was like, oh, it's on. Because let me tell you what that meant. In ancient Jewish culture, when a master would sit down to eat dinner, he would take his napkin out and he would do what you and I do and probably will do in just a few moments after church. He would either put it in his lap or he would tuck it in, right? Then he would begin to eat his dinner. And then at some point, when you're done with your dinner, you know, like, like we do, you would take the napkin and clean up with it and wad it up and then go, right? 
But every Jewish servant who would be off to the side watching the master to see if they need anything, just like if you're going to go out to eat, you have a servant watching your meal to make sure if you need anything, they're ready for you. Every Jewish servant knows if the master doesn't wad it up, but instead folds the napkin nicely and sets it to the side and then gets up, what he's saying is, I'm not done. I'll be back. I'm not finished. I got more to do. Don't clear the table yet. I'm not done. And so Jesus wants you to know something today. Yeah, you may be going through a divorce, but Jesus says, I'm not done. You may be in the middle of a depression, but Jesus says, I'm not done. You may be dealing with a rebellious teenager, but Jesus says, I'm not done with them. You may be going through something right now, but he's saying to you, I am not done. The master hasn't finished with what he wants to do in your life. Someone get excited in God's house today because he's not done. He's not done. Jesus is not done with you. Would you bow your heads with me, every head bowed, every eye closed, as we take a moment to pray today. Maybe you came today because God needed to tell you, yeah, he knows what's up in your life. He knows what's going on. He knows about the betrayal, that hurt, that struggle, that debt. He knows about your problem, and you are not done because the master's not done with you. He's not done. And you need to know that today. Our hope is in nothing less than Christ. He rose again. He's not done. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, let me ask you a question. Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and your Savior? You can receive him right now. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, God sees you. He knows your need right now. He sees you on that back row in Rodfield. He knows you're there. He's aware. He sees you in Padre Island. He knows. He sees you in San Antonio. He's aware. He knows what's going on in your life from that jail cell. God behind bars, he knows. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, have you given your life to Jesus? Why don't you do that right now? You can pray a very simple prayer. And in this prayer, you don't have to become super religious. You don't have to become like your weird aunt. You don't have to do that. That's not required. You don't have to join the church. You just have to accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior and what he did for you at the cross. You can pray this prayer with me right now. We're gonna lead you in this prayer right now. Just pray with us. Say, dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin on the cross. And I believe you rose again. And I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer, then Christ has come in your life. But today, maybe someone's here and you're already a Christ follower. Maybe today you need to know that God is not through with you. If God just spoke to you, in a clear way about your situation, and you just needed to know that hope that he is not through with you. Would you just lift your hand high to God? Just say, God, just thank you. Thank you for that today, that you're not done with me, that you know about my situation, that you know what's going on in my life, and you're not through with me. The master is not through. Thank you for that, God. Lord, we love you, God. We thank you for your word today. We thank you that we can celebrate that our Savior rose again. We thank you, Lord, that our hope is in nothing less than the ark the archaeological, evidenced, historically factual truth that Jesus rose again. We thank you for that. We build our faith on that. We are here today celebrating that fact. And we thank you, Lord, that if Jesus rose again, we can get up too. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the celebration, this worldwide celebration of our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Isn't God good?
His word is so true.